Today's episode is brought to you by Get Your Guide. Want to make your next trip unforgettable? There's an easy way to do that. Book a Get Your Guide travel experience. No matter where your travels take you, Get Your Guide offers the best way to connect with your destination. Choose from over 100,000 travel experiences in the U.S. and around the world with Get Your Guide. Whether it's the Sherlock Holmes tour in London, the night helicopter flight over Las Vegas, or whitewater rafting in the Grand Canyon, whatever you're into, you'll find an experience you love. Discover and book your next unforgettable travel experience at GetYourGuide.com. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Automatically keeps out the sounds you don't want to hear so you can listen to your music. And lowers your music to let in the sounds you do need to hear. Hi there. Hi, what can I get you? I'll have a strawberry mango coconut probiotic smoothie with wheatgrass. Anything else? Extra wheatgrass. Here you go. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled. Today's episode is brought to you by Alienware. During Dell TechFest, score game-changing innovations with limited-time deals on select next-gen Alienware gaming tech. New dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the Alienware M18 laptop, powered by an Intel Core i9 processor, featuring awe-inspiring visuals, liquid cooling, three-dimensional audio with Dolby Atmos, and impressive overclocking potential your dream setup amazing prices and free shipping await you for a limited time only at alienware.com slash deals that's alienware.com slash deals welcome to stuff from the science lab from howstuffworks.com so robert yeah. What is an astronomical unit? I don't know. What is an astronomical unit? It's one hell of a big apartment. Oh. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, guys. This is Allison, the science editor at HowStuffWorks.com. And this is Robert Lamb, a science writer at HowStuffWorks.com. And that comes to you uh, from Bruno in Switzerland. We've been putting the call out for jokes lately on Facebook. Yeah, some nice cheesy science-related jokes. There's no reason that scientists can't be humorous. And there's no reason that scientists can't smell fabulous, right? Right, right. So today we're talking about the science of perfume. And I wanted to talk a little bit about the worst smell you like. You know, sort of the smell you're not supposed to like, but you do. Um, for me, it's, it's, it's kind gasoline. of a weird concept, but go on. <laughs> well, you know, you know, it smells bad for you. You're not supposed to be sniffing it. Oh, okay, you know, and I'm not talking good. about, you know, sniffing something to get, you know, an effect, but just you kind of like the smell of it. Like okay. gasoline is mine. Oh, okay. It's like I'm not talking about huffing, but gasoline <laughs> smells fabulous. No, but I, I do like it. <laughs> also, on that vein, uh, rubber cement. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, that <laughs> makes perfect sense. Wait, what's yours? Um, well, I, I mean, I'm one of these people, I tend not to think of like smells I like as being like horrible. Right. Um, well, like one example. Okay. 
durian fruit kind of gets a, a bad rap for being. It does indeed. Have and you ever eaten one, by the I way? I have, yeah. That's the thing. I, it's like I finally got to try it when um, my wife and I went to Thailand last okay. year. And, um, and granted, we were outdoors in a well-ventilated area. And okay, everybody's just like, oh, durian fruit, it smells horrible, blah, blah, blah. I'm, I mean, not the people who sold it to us, obviously. But, but you know, you hear that especially here in the States. And um, and I really wanted to try it and give it a fair shake because I'm kind of th- thinking like this is kind of uh, like Western, you know, chauvinism. It's like, a, you know, right. saying I don't want this fruit. You're an equal opportunity fruit yeah, guy. Yeah, so I gave it a shot and it was it was really good. I mean, it's, I think the thing with the durian fruit is that you kind of have to go into it expecting more of a cheese, like some sort of a cheese fruit kind of a thing. But uh, really, yeah. Huh. But in terms of things that, like, I guess I do have to admit that uh, I now remember that, like, sometimes, like, when I'm painting, like painting, like house painting and mm-hmm. stuff, like there is something kind of nice about that smell. Yeah, like, it almost kind of smells chocolatey somehow to me. Like I should eat it. Yeah, well, I think that also has to do with the texture of the paint hmm. a little bit. You know, it has that like thickness when it's going yeah. on and. Yeah. And I guess we do tend to paint, like the painting jobs I've been on, it tends to be kind of like a brownish or a tannish, you know, or like even like a white chocolatey kind of color. So. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, technically that could be a perfume because perfume is a pretty, I mean, you can define pretty much anything as a perfume. It's a pretty loose definition. It's basically something that you wear and something that smells. Okay. I mean, I'm sure the professional perfumers out there have a more rigorous uh, definition, but like- for our purposes... <laughs> Like they don't count like Irish Spring as a perfume, <laughs> but it doesn't necessarily have to smell good or good to everyone, right? Definitely, <laughs> based on some of the perfumes I've smelt on uh, public transportation. Yeah, no doubt. So for our purposes, let's talk about liquid perfume. You know, the stuff you're going to find in a bottle, um, you know, a sprayer, a spritzer, mm-hmm. um, and that's just going to be a combo of alcohol, water, and whatever key ingredients that evaporate at room temperature. That you, you know, want to throw in to make your signature fragrance. Okay. And when you're smelling perfume, you're really just sniffing a bunch of evaporating molecules, right? Your nose detects perfume and it sends a message to your brain, creating this perception. Okay. Good, bad, indifferent, whatever it may be. And, you know, that's what's going on in the elevator. Have you ever had this experience? I know all of you listeners definitely have. You walk into the elevator, you know, somebody gets on at the next floor. They walk in, in with them, trails this just fragrant cloud of <laughs> cologne or perfume. And I won't say it's women or ladies or, or men because, it, you know, I think both oh, sexes both, yeah. definitely do this. Like there was this one dude that um, I, I used to work with him in a, before I came to House of Works. And it's like, I remember the day he came in to apply for his job. It was like, you know, like comes in through the door and it's just this stream of just, r- just really strong, like cologne was just hanging off of him. And then he left and like the cologne stayed. I think that's why they gave him the job. It's like, it's going to smell he like him here anyway. He made a lasting impression. Yeah, he did. That man made an impression. Yeah. When I was in college, this reminded me a lot of uh, Thursday nights, you know, he'd be going out mm-hmm. and uh, you get in a, you get in the elevator with a, with a boy and he would just, you know, the whole elevator would smell like Jacquard Noir. Do you remember that cologne? <laughs> I think I remember, I think maybe my dad had an old bottle of it and I like found it somewhere and it was it's like dark looking, right? It's like dark, manly looking cologne. I think so. Like the more it looks like whiskey, the more it's okay for guys <laughs> to wear it. Yeah. If I sniffed it now, it would totally take me back. So what's going on with the individual ingredients in those perfumes? Like, what's making the Dracar Noir linger so long? Uh, well, my understanding is that uh, the alcohol works to spread out the different smells, right? Allowing you to to, uh, to pick up the different hints and the, the complexities of the perfume. Otherwise, you'd be smelling them all at once, right? Right. So writer Susan Nasser, who wrote the article on our site about uh, how, how perfume works, mm-hmm. was talking about, um, in, the, in the case of a perfume oil... Um, 
if you were just to smell that perfume oil, which is the mm-hmm. really concentrated essence of the smell, it, it would kind of be like uh, hearing all the members of an orchestra all play at the same time. Yeah, you're not going to hear the you know the tuba kind of rumbling. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's that's a perfume oil, but the alcohol, right? It allows you to uh, hear or smell, as the case maybe with perfume, all these notes. Um, Okay. Not at once. It, it spreads them out, like you said. Okay. It's kind of like if you go to a tapas restaurant and like they bring out, you, you don't a want- A tapas restaurant? A tapas restaurant. <laughs> where, and it, and it's, uh, you don't want all the tapas at once and gobble them down in a hurry. You want to be there for like a lengthy period of time getting them one by one. Right. Definitely. Definitely. All right. So in that same vein, it makes sense that uh, a lot of perfumes, and when we're talking about perfumes, again, perfume does not apply to women or men. It's just, it's like we said, a smell. Right. Um, so they have a three-part smell, and each smell is called a note in the perfume industry, and that's what they like to call them, but it's just jargon. And I was not familiar with this at all before we researched this. It's pretty cool. And and the smells have different rates of evaporation. So on the top, you're going to have your top note, right? Okay. And uh, you're going to smell these within 15 minutes of applying. This is where you're going to find kind of the racy, unpleasant, spicy, weird smell, you know, something that the designer threw in to just kind of, you know... Be crazy. This is the don't apply your perfume on on the train smell, right? When the yes. person next to you decides to put it on and you're like, geez, that that's this. This is the top these are the top notes in action, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and these are the ones, luckily, that evaporate first. Okay. Okay. So take us to the take us through the heart notes. All right. Well this uh, apparently starts showing up after three to four hours. After you've gotten off the train, uh, <laughs> ideally. Hanging uh, out at work. Yeah. And uh, these evaporate more slowly from the skin. Uh, the phase of the, the perfume's life tends to be what you, this, this is the, this is the phase that makes the, the most impact. This is what you remember. This is the, the, the prime perfume life stage. Right. Robert, if you were wearing a floral perfume, uh, uh, do you wear a floral perfume? Yeah, no. Okay. So this is where you'd find your floral notes. <laughs> okay. Okay. And then you got your base notes, right? And so these form obviously the foundation of the perfume, the base of the perfume, and they linger the longest after you douse yourself in the morning, five to eight hours long, in fact. Okay. And it's not just the chemistry of the perfume and, you know, the rate of the molecules evaporating. It's you're a factor, too, right? So the top notes of the perfume are going to disappear faster if uh, your skin is nice and dry and warm um, rather than if you're kind of cool and oily. Huh. So you're going to – so when you go shopping for a perfume, you, you need to sort of carry some of that information with you? Like, no, am I – you know, what my how my skin is going to behave with it? Sure. I mean, I guess it wouldn't hurt to keep that in mind. And then how you store the perfume is going to affect the chemistry as well. If you store it in, in bright light, that can impact the bonds and the fragrance molecules and break them. Um, and then you're, you can have bright sun that can uh, damage perfume within a week's time. And that was according to Luca Turin and Tanya Sanchez, authors of uh, the 2008 book Perfume, A Guide. Huh. That's the one where the dude kills all the ladies, right? No, that's <laughs> fiction. That's a different novel. Okay. By Patrick Susskind. Yeah. yeah, the protagonist of that. What is he? He's trying to... He's trying to... I, I've, I've seen the movie. I've not read the book. I read the I book. I haven't to. seen the movie. Oh, okay. Well, we complete each other in that then. Yeah, he's like... <laughs> um, he, if I remember correctly, he wants to like... He like falls for these different ladies and like he, refines want... them into a into perfume. Right. He wants to, uh, according to Amazon, I believe, <laughs> capture the scent of a, a beautiful young virgin. That's it. That's what he's trying to do. And by virgin, I meant virgin. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but right. It, it was sort of like Silence of the Lambs, but with perfume. What do you think about that? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty, pretty good. The movie was pretty fabulous. Pretty visual. Really? Yeah. It had Dustin Hoffman as a perfumist in it. No yeah. kidding. 
But but back to the uh, the storage thing. What's weird to me about the whole visible light breaking it down is like most perfumes come in like little glass vials, right? I mean, that's true. It's just begging to to be broken down by the sun, and they're begging to be displayed, right? I mean, because packaging, of course, is such a big part of perfume yeah. as well. Well, that goes into uh, in our another podcast uh, that we did on. Uh, uh, the, the smell and science. Yeah, we've been on a smelly bender yeah. this week. Well, there's a whole deal about how, like, how, um, you know, the information from our other senses also affect how we perceive a smell. If you tell me that a cheese is cheese, then I'm going to respond better than if you tell me a cheese is body odor. And, and likewise, they I think say, in general, that's it. That's a good assumption. Yeah, but the <laughs> thing is, it's like they say that it also ends up applying to, like, the, the shape of a perfume uh, container or, the, you know, like the different, the name or, you know, what are all these different factors that, uh, that they're using to sell it to you? It's like you shape it like an apple. Even if it doesn't quite smell like an apple, it's like you're going to be more inclined to think apple when you, right. when you sniff it. Right. So smell being much more than just the physical act of sniffing. Yeah. So before we move on, I just wanted to touch on there's one other process that uh, can can harm your perfume. And you guys know this is oxidation. So this is what's going to turn your uncorked wine into vinegar. And it, it can do a number on your bottle of Chanel number no. five as well. OK, so don't keep your perfume out in a like trough on your <laughs> yeah. on your desk. Okay. Yeah. And storing your uh, perfume at room temperature in the dark and in a spray bottle preserves it well. Maybe a shelf life of two years, which is interesting because I think I tend to keep my scents much longer than two years. Note hmm. to self. Okay. Got to go home and clear out the perfumes. Yeah. Pour them all down the sink. Yeah. No, I will not do that. <laughs> so why do we wear perfume? I found this uh, pretty interesting. Um, so the writer, Susan Nasser, interviewed this psychologist, Rachel Hertz, uh, and she's a she's a Brown University and she's researched smell pretty extensively. Mm-hmm. So it hurts had a couple of uh, ideas about uh, why people wear these scents. You want to take the the men ones? Uh, yeah, and this this makes a, you know a lot of sense. Like young men wear fragrance to attract um, women or or men, um, you know whatever right. preference. And uh, of course that makes perfect sense. And that's like the stereotype too. You know, it's like guys putting on some sort of funky scent generally, and and oftentimes maybe not generally, but often not knowing quite what they're doing when <laughs> when they're picking one out. Um, so that's the young guys. And then the older men, uh, according uh, according to Nasser, uh, older men wear it as a nod to the person who gave them the perfume. In other words, I'm wearing this perfume because I got it as a gift and I've got to use the whole bottle or I'm never going to hear the end of it. And I think you and I think you think it smells nice. So, yeah. So I guess it smells nice. I'll wear it if she likes it. Well, we're going out to dinner. Might as well douse myself a little bit. Yeah. Generally, I don't receive perfume as a except from um, Bonnie's grandmother gave me perfume one year. Yeah? Yeah. I think we quietly destroyed it. <laughs> hope she's not listening. I hope not. Um, so young women may wear it because of friends uh, and, and media influence. This one actually rang true for me. I remember at a certain point in my life, um, in middle school, I think, I did start to wear fragrance. And it wasn't because I... You know, I wait, you probably wore it. Didn't you like wear it earlier? Like you went and like tried on all your mom's perfume at once. Yeah, that's probably true. I probably did. But, you know, I actually bought a bottle from Mm. my local drugstore or something like Baby Soft or I don't even know, some terrible (laughs) perfume. Not that it's terrible, but I I just probably wouldn't buy it now. (laughs) Um, But it was very much something that all my friends were doing. So it was more like, you know, a reflection of growing up or something to that effect. Okay. Um, So... Hers, the psychologist that uh, that our writer interviewed, says that women in their 30s do it just because, you know, they want to. Uh, once you get into your 40s, they're wearing it because they like it. This sounds random to me, though. I mean, you don't like it before then? Well, I mean, maybe it's kind of like with, 
you know, like some people deal with like, say, beer. You kind of like, you drink, beer tastes horrible at first. Yeah. And then supposedly if you drink enough of it, you start to love it. And then you, you, you like, it takes a while to like build up an appreciation for mm-hmm. it. So maybe it's like you spend your 30s, you know, using these perfumes, but you don't really necessarily like it. But, you know, after a while, then you develop this real appreciation for it. And then you're, you know, totally into it. Yeah. I but see that being the case. By 60, again, the women are just wearing it to please others. Well, maybe they're just they're just nice old ladies, and they're like, I'm just going to wear this because my son got it for me, and it'll make him happy. Kind of a deal, you know? Right, right. Old um, ladies are just nice. That's what I'm saying. So scents can affect our moods and our behavior, right? We know this. I mean, it can pull up some sort of treasured memory, and it can influence our actions. And there have been a couple interesting studies in this vein. Um, I think that you guys have probably heard of the one about the Cinnabon. Have you heard about that? We were talking about this a little bit before the podcast. <laughs> yeah, what was the deal with this again? It's just... The, so, the scent of Cinnabon. Right. So put the, put the scent of Cinnabon in the air. Uh, do it, you know, in a mall. Or, okay. And, um, what you're going to want to do is you're going to get some people involved. You're going to get your, uh, participants and, uh, you get one person to drop something. Okay. And then, um, see if a stranger picks up that pencil, say that you dropped. Well, it turns out if you have the smell of Cinnabon in the air, um, People are more likely to pick up that pencil. The stranger's more likely to pick up that pencil. Good smells, uh, as a correlation with, you know, good behavior. You know, huh. you're going to pick up a pencil. Maybe you'll give directions. Maybe you're just going to be an all around nice person as long as you're whiffing cinnabons. Wow. It's kind of interesting. It can, it makes me think of like a futuristic society, you know, where everybody is like a perfect citizen and they're doing it because they're just constantly pumping out the odor of cinnabon. You know what this really made me wonder, and I didn't have time enough to get into it before the podcast, was what do casinos smell like? I'm not a hardcore gambler, but I huh. had to wonder how they Sadness. <laughs> Stale cigarettes. Sadness and Cinnabon. Those nice yeah. old ladies playing the slots. I don't know. That's a really cool. I'm, gonna have to, I'm very curious now. So there was a study in France that followed a sort of similar Cinnabon protocol, only um, they checked to see whether a woman who uh, was wearing perfume would... Um, Influence this sort of similar behavior in strangers. So, um, you know, she would drop something from her purse and she would see, they would see if strangers would help her pick up that object. And in fact, uh, they did. You know, okay. the woman wearing the perfume brought yeah. out that behavior again. She smelled like Cinnabon. <laughs> no, she smelled like a, a, oh, a different okay. perfume. Okay. No, they, okay. they did not. Well, see, they should combine these two uh, studies. Right. Maybe they have them. It has the best effect if it's a Cinnabon perfume. I hope so. And then there is a, I'll just one final study that I'll get to here. There's a study published in the Journal of Psychological Science, and that found that a citrus-scented cleanser was associated with people behaving more fairly when they played a game, uh, a classic trust game, according to this article I found in the Boston Globe. Like apples to apples or what? <laughs> I don't know. I don't huh. know what the game was. Yeah, so fair behavior, people picking up pencils for you. I mean, it does seem like scent can influence action. I, and, and that's just, you know, a smattering of studies that have been done. Huh. Uh, there, there are many more to explore. But let's, let's take a break from that and look at the genetic side. So each of us has a genetically determined number of odor receptors or cells in our nose that grab fragrant molecules out of the air around us. So with more receptors for classic compounds, like say lily smells, you're going to smell mm-hmm. lily at a lower concentration, but at normal amounts, the smell could be intense and overwhelming. All right. But too few receptors can be a problem. Why is that? Well, uh, for example, cilantro's fragrance uh, consists of many odors. If your uh, genetic code spells out a variation that reduces your number of receptors for an odor, you may miss one of cilantro's many 
odors, and it may smell soapy to you. We've uh-huh. uh, touched on this before. Yeah, we did on yeah. the genetic stuff. The yeah, top- talking about it tasting soapy, and of course, scent and taste are blood brothers. Indeed. So let's get to the evolution side. And one question that people have thrown out a lot are, you know, are our olfactory likes and dislikes programmed? And there's a pretty healthy argument on this area. So on the pro side, some people are going to argue that the answer as to whether we like certain smells isn't really genes, but history, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, way, way, way back history. Right, so, like grazing, like just foraging for food kind of things. Like like I smell fruit. I eat fruit. Fruit's great. I wish everything smelled like fruit. It's the Cinnabon thing again. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, right. So that kind of harkens back to our foraging days, our hunting and gathering days. And then, you know, on the other hand, we're not going to like the smell of, you know, urine, feces, or, you know, maybe rotten or fishy smells. Yeah, because, like, urine could, like, it could be telling me that somebody else's territory, um, you know, fecal, all, all that's going to potentially so, have parasites and pathogens. Disease, infectious agents, mm-hmm. right. So there, could there be an evolutionary mechanism at work there? That's that's one thought, school of thought on this. I, I'm, I'm game to believe that. Well, what about the other side of the argument? Well, yeah, there's the other side of the argument that says that smells are an evolutionary program. Uh, and this is this is kind of like the, the sort of short, short and dirty version of this is like people can get used to anything. Right. Right. Um, right. Your culture preference, your personal experience can override sort yeah. of any smell. I mean, if you grow up with a latrine smell, maybe it's not going to bother you. Yeah. You grow up, um, you know, gutting fish, then the fish smell is not going to bother you. Back before the days of refrigeration, um, Nasser writes in her article, the smell of rotten meat was tolerated and even liked in Europe. Huh. Yeah, I guess I just don't really have a perception of rotten hamburger meat, per se, yeah. just because the refrigerator does play such an important role. Well, I, one example that comes to mind is like, I don't know if you, you know, if you ever go to like, uh, like sort of foreign or not even foreign, but just kind of like, I guess like sort of Asian, like kind of uh, like fish markets and stuff, mm-hmm. or I guess just any fish market. It's like I'm not around them. So when I go to them, it's it's a bit overpowering. Right. But I'm thinking like people, A, people who are around it a lot are going to be more less inclined to think it's stinky. And also if it's like more like a cultural thing, you're going to tolerate it more. Yeah. Or maybe even, you know, say you're a smoker, right? Yeah. You know how smokers can't smell themselves, but if you walk into an elevator with a smoker, you can instantly smell it. Or if you're mm-hmm. riding the train with somebody who, you know, hit happy hour, maybe they can't smell the alcohol on them. But, I mean, it just wafts over to you in a giant cloud of dirty martini. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. So anyway, so so that's really the other side of the argument is that, yeah, like you were saying, we can override any of these preferences. And evolution really doesn't have a whole lot to do with uh, with smell. So I think we gave you guys a lot of odor for thought. Yeah. I mean, I'm... I think it's, yeah, next time you throw in a little perfume, you might think about it a little differently. And, and also, like, maybe even, like, go ahead and mark down on your schedule, like, which phase of the perfume is going <laughs> to is gonna line up with what part of your day. It's like, oh, crap, I got a 3 o'clock, uh, um, you know, interview, and that's after phase two ends. What am I going to do about my floral notes being gone? Yeah, so we love to hear from you guys, smelly thoughts or, or otherwise. So uh, send us an email at sciencestuff at howstuffworks.com or uh, connect with us on Facebook. Yep, we're uh, on there at Stuff in the Science Lab. Uh, also find us on Twitter as Lab Stuff. And, uh, hey, hey, and shoot us some jokes. You know? Yeah. Give us uh, some sort of nice, cheesy science joke. Include your, you know, your name and where you're from, and we will uh, try and throw it up there at the start of the podcast if it's good. All right, that's all we got. Thanks for listening, guys. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Want more HowStuffWorks? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. 
Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids like yours, and all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free at 